thank you for this place. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your mercy, and most importantly, your son. In, the name, in whose name we pray, amen. 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 Be seated. It's good to see you guys this morning. Uh, my name is Joe Davis, one of the pastors here. Just real quick before we get started, uh, every once in a while there are ministry. Obviously, we have a lot of Grace Life ministries like Grace Life Recovery, and we have Deep End, and we have the student ministry. We have Mom's Night Out. We have a lot of these other things going on. But every once in a while, there's a ministry that's not necessarily relate, like overseen by Grace Life, but that Grace Life can support because it's kind of, kind of an exciting one. Maybe people in our church are connected to it. I call it like Grace Life community kind of thing. And in a couple weeks, I think it is one of the... Uh, one of our Grace Lifers, uh, Mamie Katsarellis, is also my neighbor, so she has a lot of dirt on me if you ever want to find out anything. This is right across the street. She's starting a support group for moms. It's called Moms Lifting Moms. It's going to be at her place of business, and uh, it's for a support group for moms who have uh, a, a children, uh, adult or younger, who are struggling with different issues. And I'm very excited. You'll hear more about that at some point. It's, it's a ministry that Grace Life can really uh, is excited about. It's not necessarily a ministry that we are overseeing or running, but we have some people, uh, Doug Rubano's helping her get that started and some other things. There are other ministries like that in our town that I would kind of like to classify something called like Grace Life Community. It's not a Grace Life ministry, but it's something some people in our church are involved in that is really exciting, and that's one of them. So things like that will happen. Was that? It's this Monday. Okay, so tomorrow? Tomorrow. Okay, so tomorrow <laughs> at 6.30 at Shine Hair Design on 41 across, next to Chili's. That's the way I always think of everything on 41. How far is it from Chili's? And this is right there. So uh, we're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians. Uh, this one, for the last four weeks, uh, that topic is no longer going to be discussed this morning. It was about money. I'm glad we're done with that. And... Um, I know some of you are too, but this week it's called I Will Not Be Ashamed is, is the title that we have here. And, and I'm going to read a passage to you, then explain to you why I think you need to hear this sermon today. Okay, I'm going to read it. It's 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. Paul, myself, entreat you or ask you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away, I beg of you, that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. In other words, I have to be bold with some people who are accusing us of things that aren't true. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's, he's in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed." So for those of you that may have been in church for a long time, you might have heard 2 Corinthians 10.5 before. Casting down imaginations or arguments of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. A lot of people preach this passage and that verse is about how to control your thought life. Now that's a noble goal, but unfortunately that's not what the context of this passage is about. 
in reality. So if you've ever heard of that verse as being one about thought life, for those of you who might have, that's the incorrect application for this. And we know this because of the historical and theological aspects of this passage. What it really addresses is the issue of how we should never be ashamed of our faith. We should never be ashamed of who God made us, how he made us that way. And we look at Paul, and Paul's talking about, he says, I won't be ashamed. Well, of course he's not going to be ashamed, right? I mean, he's Paul. But what was it that made Paul so fearless, so committed? Wouldn't you like to know what, Paul, what made Paul so brave and so inspired? I mean, wouldn't you like to tap into that? And today I hope, what I hope is this passage, this sermon, will inspire us as a church to a new level of boldness and humble confidence as children of God. So that's why we're talking about this passage. That's why it's called I Will Not Be Ashamed. And let's look at the historical application. What about man? What did he do and why and how did he do it? I want to look at Paul's unwavering confidence. So understand what's going on, right? Historically, Paul's attackers are relentless in their assault of his reputation, his character, how he did ministry in every step of the way. The whole world around Paul is aligned against him to try to quiet him, to stop him from being who God made him to be. They want to make him ashamed, and they want to make those whom he loves and is ministering to ashamed of him as well. It's relentless. Bashing how he talks, how he writes, how he lives, the theology he brings, the things he says, everything around him, everywhere he turns, it's somebody saying, you're terrible. Or somebody talking behind his back, Paul's terrible. Yet Paul remains uncompromising in his task to love and care for God's church. With boldness, but with humble dedication. Dedication that was quite costly for him, to be honest. So let's look at Paul's boldness. He is motivated to eviscerate Every whimsical, false doctrine and theology that is designed to undermine the gospel. He is passionate about the fact that he is going to hunt out anything that's being said that undermines faith in Christ. To do this, he had to defend his authority, attack bad teaching, and teach good theology himself. Because what people are doing is, Paul has no credibility. Don't listen. His message is not right. Don't listen. Paul has to attack those two things, but then also, no, let me tell you what Christ really says. He wasn't necessarily personally defensive, like trying to defend himself because it bothered him, although I'm sure he struggled with that emotion, wouldn't you? But he believed it was best for the kingdom. Matter of fact, he says, look, this battle is very weary. He says, it'd be better for me to be gone and in heaven. It'd be much easier for me, but it is better for you that I stay and work through these horrible struggles. He lives out a bold, direct, systematic approach of defending truth and destroying strongholds. That's his boldness. He does it in letters and he does it in speeches. Now I want to look at Paul's motivation. The inspiration 
and motivation for this huge, expensive, tiresome task that he dedicated his life to, which is going to different places and planting and nurturing Gentile churches, was his moment of faith. I'm just going to read the passage to you. It's Acts chapter 26, 14 to 18. This is Paul talking to the authorities about what happened to him. Let me explain to you why I do what I do. Here's what he says. And when we, he's talking about a trip, he's on a trip on this, it's called the road to Damascus. He's on his way to persecute and kill more Christians. And God intervenes and saves him. And here's what Paul says. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, that was his name before he became a Christian. Why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, where are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are set apart by faith in me. Paul's motivation was that moment that he was living a life that was dark and twisted and evil and full of fulfilling his own fleshly desires. He liked to fulfill his fleshly desires by trying to be the best religious person he could be and killing and persecuting those who weren't quite as good as him. He was fulfilling his own life, living his own dark path. And all of a sudden, unbeknownst to him and not sought by him, God says, stop. This day, this moment, I am changing your life direction. I'm transforming your desires. I'm transforming your motives. I'm transforming your values. And I'm going to make you a new creation. Old things will be passed away. All things will become new. You'll have a new job. You'll have a new calling. And this is the moment that motivated Paul. I mean, you could imagine it, right? You're on your way to kill Christians. And then Christ appears to you and says, hey, you're not going to kill Christians. You're going to make more. It'd be kind of a shocking development, right? And every time somebody blasted him or crushed his heart or spoke ill of him, all he had to do is go back to, yeah, but road to Damascus. That moment on the road to Damascus, that's why I do this. And that's why it's worth it. Then we look at Paul's actions. He was relentless with his speeches and his letters and both of those reflected, you've seen some of it in 1st and 2nd Corinthians and in Philippians, both reflected his boldness, which often invoked anger to dangerous levels and uproar. Matter of fact, if you remember early in this book, in 2nd Corinthians, he says, look, I felt it was better to write this letter to you than to come visit you because my visiting would have caused you danger and me because so many people hate me. I faced so much vitriol that I felt like it was better to write you a letter than come and speak. Faith made Paul relentless despite the financial hardship, the burdensome travel, the, per the peril, the character assassin assassination, and the government coming against him as well. All those things would work to make someone say, you know what, this church planning thing probably ain't worth it. 
But Paul was motivated relentlessly. Why? Not because he was a great man. Because he met a great God. And the great God transformed his motivation for living. So let's talk about the theological. What about God? What did he do and why and how does he do it? God makes Paul shameless. Here's what God does. First of all, I want you to look at the darkness before grace. Certainly the life of old Paul had a profound effect on who Paul became as an apostle and child of God, right? I mean, can you imagine like the memory? This is after he meets Jesus, right? On the road to Damascus. The memory of who he was without Christ was certainly part of his bold motivation as an apostle. He knew who he was, a murderer, a bloody religious zealot. I think those memories of his darkness before grace are instrumental in his ability to articulate the deficiencies of self-righteousness and his ability to explain grace. Just like those of us who go through difficult times before God's grace and we know the cost and penalty and burden of sin in our life, whether it be a love of money or anything else, we know what that life can do to us and when God rescues us from it, the memory of what life was like before grace motivates us when the memory of what we used to be is compared to what we are now. So there's the darkness before grace, and then there's that road to Damascus, where God saved Paul on that road, transformed his life, changed his life trajectory, changed his value system, and changed his relationships. Now the most important people in his life were Christians, the ones he hated. They're the ones protecting him looking out for him for three years, feeding him and helping him recover and then teaching him the gospel. In fact, on the road to Damascus, he was on the way to kill more Christians. And think about this now. What would have been the historical legacy of Paul had he never been given the gift of faith? I mean, before God saved him, he was a brilliant writer and a good communicator. But I submit to you this. Had Paul never been on the road to Damascus and received grace, he would have been nothing more than some tiny footnote. Another bloody religious zealot, regardless of his talents. But he became the Paul we know and love and appreciate today because of, not his brilliance, but because of a moment on a road that he had nothing to do with. It transformed into this, into this tremendously effective, diligent, persistent defender of the gospel that rode to Damascus. And then lastly, how God made Paul shameless, he made him fall in love with truth. I wrote this down because I didn't want to forget it. I wrote, the power of inspired truth captivated Paul's heart and mind like no other pursuit ever could. Once Paul understood grace, it was truth from God that captivated every aspect of his being. It became his philosophy. It became his compass. It became his guiding light. It became his direction. It became his love and passion. The intellectual, philosophical, spiritual majesty of God's word gave him awe and supernatural resolve and confidence in it. 
It was that supernatural mooring of God's truth that kept him motivated no matter what life threw at him. No matter what life brought his way, whether it was the threat of execution, people gossiping about him, people slandering, people chasing him, trying to kill him, or being thrown in prison, it didn't matter. His persistence and his commitment and dedication to the gospel remained constant. And it was supernatural. It was not who Paul was. These things created inspired commitment to God's church. And Paul strived to live with mercy and grace in the, in the sphere of uncompromising commitment to truth. He knew his calling was supernatural and says, I will not be ashamed. There was a humble confidence there. And you know what it was based on? It was based on that profound gratitude for the road to Damascus where God saved him, how God saved him on that road shaped his everyday actions and his everyday thought process. It empowered him to not be ashamed of God's truth or God no matter what. And his reference to every argument and every opinion being cast down and every thought in verse 5 is a commentary on how committed he is. Do you understand what that is? Let me tell you something. Here's how committed I am. I will seek out every argument that tries to exalt itself against the knowledge of Christ, and I will bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. I will not let, I am so committed to defending the gospel, I will not let one false thought about Christ slip by. So let's talk about the devotional. What about us? What are we supposed to do with this and why and how do we do it? <clears throat> I want to talk about inspired living. I'll start by reading this verse, verses 7 and 8. Look what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he's Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, in other words, if I talk too much about being an apostle, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I will be what God has called me to be. This is the attitude that should be the goal of every Christian. And let me explain some ways that we can be ashamed, right? Being ashamed of our faith can have glaring examples like, I don't know Jesus, and probably most of us are probably okay with that. Maybe some of us struggle, but for the most part, you know. But there's also ways that we can be ashamed that are a little less noticeable. It's not just about failing to spread the gospel when opportunity presents, but also maybe stealth compromises of our values and standards to try to fit into society. To avoid any possible scrutiny that we might face if we identified with quote-unquote crazy church people. And some of you are, okay? <laughs> um, but those moments that we actually pass the test and we have no shame can be huge turning points for us and those who see it. 
I have a story of a friend that I've known for a long time. When he first became a child of God, I remember he went and told his family. And his family said, oh, that's cute. That's precious. And they kind of mocked it a little bit. And it really discouraged him. Like, it really broke his heart. Like, you don't understand. This is my road. He didn't say this, but this was my road to Damascus. God has enlightened me. God has saved me. God has transformed my heart and life. I'm a new creation. And you're mocking it and you're, and you're dismissing it. You know what it did for him? It solidified his faith in Christ. It solidified his commitment. And it made him come away from that saying, not only am I a child of God, I will continue to identify as such until the day I'm le- I leave this earth. Because let me tell you something. The world does not want to inspire you to live for God. The world does not want to inspire you to kingdom work. The world is not looking for ways to encourage you and to motivate you to live sacrificially in humble reliance of those around you. The world is not asking you and looking for ways to tell you, listen, surprising generosity is the way to go. The world is not looking for ways to encourage you, listen, stick with the gospel. It's just as good as any other message. Most everything about the world tends to distract us From these things. Mm -hmm. Greed, revenge, violence, selfishness, immorality. The world's wisdom gives many reasons that we should be ashamed of who we are in Christ. But there are ingredients for boldness that we have in our life. That were the same ones that Paul had. First one is our life experiences. Our darkness before grace, if you will. The world wants to downplay the depravity that we embodied before Christ. You weren't so bad. Everybody does it. Even perhaps, especially the darkest ones. How do you think Paul handled those memories of what he was before faith? I submit to you that it is the dark memories and how he rescued us from them by grace that inspire us the most. Then there's our gift of faith, our road to Damascus, our transformation story. The world wants wants to make faith seem silly. A fairy tale, not worthy of your commitment. It's just, you know, hocus pocus. Just like Paul, our salvation moment is our source of confidence and inspiration. That moment that God takes you out of darkness into light and says the world has been destroying you, but I will give you water that you'll never thirst again. I will give you new life. I will transform you. Old things are passed away. All things become new. You now become uh, transformed from being somebody who is a negative to a positive for those around you. And also those moments that God uses in your life, those little aha moments where God affirms your faith? The God is with you moments, you know the ones I'm talking about? Well, I think I just got visited by supernatural sovereign God's grace right there. You know those moments I'm talking about. Each time our faith becomes the substance of our hope and the evidence of things we can't see yet, it inspires obedience It inspires commitment. It inspires investment into God's kingdom and God's people. And then the other ingredient that we have for inspired living, just like Paul, is God's truth. 
The world says biblical truth is outdated, it's antiquated, it's silly traditions, it's powerless to transform you. God's children know otherwise. It's the majesty of eternal truth in God's word that gives us substance and depth over the shallow, selfish way we lived before. Precious gems we find, the ones we can quote without any trouble. The times that God confirms his word to us. Remember that in Psalm 119? Confirm your word to me because it makes me excited to live when you do. When God confirms his word, it's so exciting for us. Each time that we see truth stand up to scrutiny, we are inspired to grasp it with all our might. It's the supernatural, just like with Paul, it's that supernatural mooring that keeps us secure and unashamed no matter what comes our way. And the world, guys, listen, I'm telling you as your pastor, I love you and I'm telling you right now, the world wants to minimize these things. Your life experiences, your gift of faith and God's truth. But when we focus on them, the result is supernatural, thriving confidence that translates us into relentless, unashamed kingdom agents. I love what Paul said earlier in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. <clears throat> For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I hope that as we go through our daily lives, sometimes things get boring and mundane and we get lazy and we kind of back off a little bit. Maybe we shrink away from our faith just a little bit. Maybe not because we're ashamed, but we're tired or whatever. I submit to you the best way to get out of that, go back to your road to Damascus. First thing. Right? Go back there. Remember what you were before Christ. And then think about the gift of faith. And then think about God's truth. And those things right there will make you, just like Paul, unashamed. Dad, we don't want to be ashamed of what you've done for us. There's so many things pulling and pushing against us to be what we're supposed to be in Christ. We're thankful for the things you gave Paul, his past experiences, the gift of faith and your truth, how it inspired him and motivated him to be unashamed. God, that's what we want in our lives. I pray for those in our church, even today, that they would go home thinking about their road to Damascus moment, their gift of faith and your truth that has been confirmed time and time again, that you would make us into supernatural thriving, relentless, unashamed kingdom agents.